Welcome to the Trinity Baptist Church podcast with Senior Pastor Matt Homeyer. For more information about our church and to keep up to date with the latest resources, visit our website at trinitybaptist.org. Enjoy the podcast. Sat a little further back today. Didn't account for the walk. Took me a little longer to get up here. I want to thank Debbie for filling in and preaching last week so ably while I was gone. We enjoyed. Yes, we can clap for that. That's a good thing. Thank you, Debbie. It was nice to uh, have a weekend away with the family, and it is uh, equally nice to be back with you all today. Um, It is uh, for those parents, teachers, kids, congratulations. You made it through another year. Most of you passed from what I hear, which is exciting. And so uh, there's a little more space in the aisles between us, you know, or in the the pews, rather, this first uh, weekend of summer. And we uh, remember those who are traveling. It's also Memorial Day, um, and several of our our veterans here are in their, their uniforms today and Um, It's always uh, kind of an interesting juxtaposition of the first weekend of summer where we barbecue and and we gather with friends and family. And also it's a, as I wrote in our our letter this week, a somber day um, to remember those that lost their lives um, with our armed forces. And so even as we worship today and keep Jesus as our focus of worship, as we should, um, as we celebrate tomorrow, um, also take some time in your own uh, devotion in your own uh, walk with Christ to pray, to remember those who mourn today, to remember those who allow uh, their sacrifice, allowed a day of celebration like tomorrow to happen. Um, let me pray for us as we enter into worship today. God, we come before you, each of us and all of us, sinners of your own redeeming, broken and in need of grace yet again today. We come before you, God, with grief in our hearts, some fresh, some remembered on this Memorial Day. Some come with joy at the beginning of summer and the possibilities therein. We we come with so much before you, God, in need today, mostly in need of a word from you, in need from a word to inspire our faith, in need of a word from you and your Holy Spirit, which we're talking about today, God, that leads us forward into the world. So speak as we know you are faithful to do, God. In your name we pray, amen. We are beginning a new sermon series today that will be in for for much of the summer, or for quite a few weeks of the summer. We'll take a couple breaks here and there. And we're going to be walking through the book of Acts this this, uh, summer together and getting uh, some imagination, soaking ourselves in this imagination of this early church. I think it's so imperative for the church in all ages to go back to that witness of the earliest church fairly regularly. And, and think about the situation they were in. How did they understand what it meant to be the church as they were learning this on the fly? And so we're going to be in this series we're calling Poured Out. John Chrysostom's a church father lived over 1,800 years ago or so, something like that, 1,700 years, somewhere in there. I'm doing the math on the fly. Always a bad choice for me to do that on the fly. I should have written that down. 
He said that we have the four gospels of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and that Acts is the gospel of the Holy Spirit. And it is the story of the Holy Spirit being poured out Uh, And I'll talk about that in a little bit. This is our sermon series this summer we're calling Poured Out. We're going to be tracing the path of the Spirit's movement in Acts, what we'll talk about here in a little bit. And so I'm looking forward to this, looking at differing passages in Acts each week and the way the Spirit moves in surprising and always powerful ways in different ways and how these poor apostles and disciples and earliest earliest followers of Jesus just were doing their best to try to keep up with what the Spirit was doing. Acts begins, we're gonna be in Acts 1 and 2. We're gonna kind of tell most of the story of Acts 1 and most of 2 today, if you want to follow along and, and be reading with you with us. Acts begins with, with Jesus not yet ascended, resurrected, but not ascended, giving some instructions to the disciples, the apostles, that earliest group of believers, that they were not to leave Jerusalem, but they were to stay in Jerusalem and wait. They were to wait on the promise that the Father was going to give them. And then he follows that up very briefly saying, just as John baptized with water, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So the promise the Father was gonna give was to baptize them with the Holy Spirit. Now, as good Baptists, we know that that Greek word is baptizo, which means to immerse. I wonder when I read Acts, what did the disciples expect at this point? I mean, What did they expect to happen? What did they expect that baptism to look like? Because, you know, there was so much uh, prophecy about the Messiah. There was so much for the faithful Jews. They were looking for Messiah. There was some expectations there. There were some texts they could go to when they thought about the Messiah. And Jesus subverted those expectations, but they had something to go on. There was no plan for the coming of the Holy Spirit. Oh, there's a plan. There was no prophecy about this. There there was no great expectation of this. What do you think they expected? To be immersed in the Holy Spirit. They had maybe some of them been baptized by John. They had all witnessed Jesus be baptized by John. They had seen, even in their, their own Jewish experience, someone be taken down and plunged under the water and come up dripping and knew, but that water also washed away and they were clean, but it was a symbolic act. They walked away and dried off. What did they think was gonna happen when they were immersed in the Spirit? In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was there, to be sure, over the waters of creation, along with, as part of the Trinity. God poured out his Spirit in the Old Testament, but but not by immersion. He, He sent maybe communion cups full of the Spirit. Little little bits of the Spirit poured out selectively, poured out carefully, poured out powerfully to be sure. But, but thimblefuls, communion cupfuls on, on prophets and on judges and on kings like David, anointed men and women that, that maybe for their life or sometimes just for a season were anointed by the Spirit of God and did amazing things. What did they expect would happen 
when it wasn't just a thimble full, a communion cup full of a spirit on one person, but they were all to be baptized, immersed in the spirit. What did they expect? After being told to wait, Jesus ascended to heaven in Acts 1, and they waited. And they waited. We don't really know. We know when Pentecost happened because of the name Pentecost. We'll get to that in a minute. We don't know really when exactly in the Acts account Jesus ascended. They may have waited quite some time, a few weeks, may have been just a few days. What did they do while they waited? Well, this is a great Baptist story. The first bit church business meeting is held before the Holy Spirit got there. Isn't that the best Baptist? We're gonna have a business meeting no matter what. Even the Spirit can't deny that. And so they hold the business meeting. They said, all right, you know, we got it. Judas is out. And so we gotta pick somebody. We gotta have 12. And so they hold the business meeting and elect a new leader. And then they wait and it, Pentecost came. So Pentecost has been adopted by the Christian church because of what's going to happen here in a minute. But, but it was originally the Greek name for the Feast of Harvest, which was one of the main Jewish feasts. And it, Pentecost is the Greek word for 50th um, that, that, that happened generally 50 days after Passover. And so this festival is happening in Jerusalem and they had obeyed Jesus and were waiting there in Jerusalem for this promise of the Father, for this baptism of the Holy Spirit. Whatever in the world that was going to be, they were waiting there. And, and this would, feast would not have been as big as Passover, but still you would have had faithful Jews from, from all over the empire certainly all over that region, come in to give thanks for harvest and to give their tithes of first fruits and, and, and to participate in worship here. There, as the text will show us in a minute, people from all over the empire there. And we wonder what was going on in those disciples' minds. Is, did they go celebrate this? Did they participate in this? Did they hold, were they planning to hold back from this? For they had not harvested that year. They had had quite some 50 days, you know, and before. They're holed up in a house, waiting and waiting with this festival celebration going on all around them. All sort of languages, all sort of people celebrating the end of such hard work, the end and the sign again that God has provided for his people. Yet again, they were sitting and waiting for God to work. Friends, have you been in that spot where you were just waiting for God to work? Suddenly, the house where they were gathered shook as if a tornado descended into Jerusalem. A sound, Luke writes in Acts, like a mighty rushing wind descended upon them and these believers gathered. We don't know whether it was just the 12. It was probably a larger gathering of that. Uh, maybe, who knows how many it would have been, probably larger than that. They look around and wonder, wondering if the others had heard what they heard, wondering perhaps if this is it, if this is what's happening or there's something else going on. And as they looked around at one another, suddenly divided tongues of fire came down. 
I mean, imagine, put yourself there, y'all. And we're here for worship today. We're here expecting God to move, hoping for God to move. And yet it also is just another Sunday at the same time. What if now, now we live in the land of tornadoes, so we might kind of know what's going on, but what if a sound like a tornado suddenly descended and the whole place in here started shaking and from the air, divided tongues of fire came and did not consume but rested on each of God's people. This wasn't just contained in this room. All of these at the festival hear what's going on and the disciples and those on whom the tongue of fire rested burst outside and they begin speaking in tongues. And us Baptists have a hard time wrapping our minds around this one. This, this spirit language, glossolalia, this spirit language given from God that, that, that is unintelligible to many and interpreted by some, again, through the spirit. And all of these people from all of these lands listed in Acts 2, watch these people pour out of this room speaking gibberish, but all of a sudden they realize, I, I hear it and it doesn't sound, but I, I understand it. And I don't understand it in Greek. I don't understand it even in Aramaic. Maybe I understand it in my heart tongue, the language of my childhood, the language mom and dad taught me that I grew up with. They hear it each in their own language and maybe they begin to talk among themselves and realize they're not just hearing it, that everyone is hearing this in their own language. This is the opposite of Babel. Babel came when we tried to get to God. God confused our language. This is God coming to us and giving one language. This is God coming to us and uniting and calling and inspiring and working in power. They were filled with the Holy Spirit, Luke writes. Filled. This is even more than immersed. You're immersed in something, but you're, you're pulled out of it, and it's a symbol of something that happens. But the waters of baptism literally don't cling to us. This is different. This word means to be wholly consumed by, wholly possessed of. They were filled, consumed, possessed by the Holy Spirit. This is more than they could have hoped for. This is more than they could have imagined, filled with the Holy Spirit. The people are amazed. They say, aren't these Galileans? In other words, aren't these simple country folk? What in the world? You know, if we're sitting here and saying, aren't those folks from Carnes County down in Kennedy? And if you're from Kennedy, you may say, aren't those folks from Pawnee? I mean, you know, we all have someone, right, that we feel is a little less cosmopolitan than we are. Two things immediately apparent with the coming of the Holy Spirit. And y'all write this down, put it into your phones, scan it into your hearts, right? Burn it into your mind. These are something we're gonna be talking about throughout the summer because this is, I think, sort of a, the thesis of Acts. This happens here, it's apparent here, and this is gonna carry throughout the book and I think also carry the church today. The Holy Spirit comes and one, is immediately powerful beyond all expectation and on the move. 
I don't think the Holy Spirit just came in this one spot. I think theologically speaking, I can't necessarily back this up with the text, though maybe in some part, but theologically, I think the, the Spirit comes and filled every ounce of creation in a moment. In a moment, there was no inch of creation where the Spirit of God was not. And from this moment on, for the rest of history, there would never be an inch of creation. We wander where God did not precede us there through the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit comes and it is powerful and is on the move. One, two, the Holy Spirit comes, make sure I get this one right, and is immediately beyond our control and working in surprising ways. No one expected tongues of fire. No one expected tongues from our, of language. It is immediately powerful and beyond our control. These disciples can't shape it. They can't funnel it. All the disciples can do is to watch and to listen for where the Spirit is on the move and then do their dead level best to keep up. These poor guys through the rest of the book, these next weeks, y'all will talk about these poor men and women. They are learning on the fly. The Holy Spirit is turning their lives upside down. The Holy Spirit is changing the rules on them constantly. And they look for its movement. They listen for its movement. And then they just do their dead level best to try to keep up. The spirit is powerful and on the move. The spirit is beyond our control and surprising. Out ahead of those disciples, the crowd in Jerusalem for Pentecost heard this and they say, ah, they've gotten into the wine a little early this morning. What would you think if people poured out speaking gibberish? And they say, what does this mean? When they started hearing that, what does this mean? There's just two great questions in this passage. Here's the first, what does this mean? Friends, when we look for the Spirit's movement in the world and do our best to follow, the Spirit will provide opportunity to provide witness. It will provide opportunity when we seek to join the Spirit out ahead of us, join the Spirit to say something of the Jesus that we know, to say something of our experience with Jesus, to serve in the name of Jesus in some way. When we join the Spirit at work, there will be questions that come our way, opportunities that come our way, that, that are opportunities of the Spirit to share what we know of Jesus. This is how the kingdom of God goes forward. It takes so much of the impetus off of us. This isn't about our effort. We just kind of go along dumb and happy, ready for the Spirit to move, and then say something. When we see it, do something. When we, speak, when we see it, this question comes, what, is, what does this mean? What does this mean? And Peter jumps up, as Peter likes to do. And he stood, and he just shared what he knew. What he knew of Jesus, he began to share his understanding of all that was happening and to answer that question, what did it mean? Now, this is hilarious. We can laugh at this. The first thing said by and of the early church, this is the first thing in the history of church history, right? This is the first thing said of the church, and it is 
we are not drunk. It's only 9 a.m., you know. Not that they wouldn't be necessarily, but it's only 9 a.m. Uh, you know, there's a sense of humor to this. But to say, y'all know, this isn't something earthly. This isn't something explainable. The Spirit of God is here. And Peter goes on to, to connect Jesus to the prophets and David, and he told of Jesus' life and death and resurrection. And, and just to be honest, it's not the best sermon, right? He, he would not get an A in a preaching class for this. If I stood up today and gave his sermon, you would be disappointed and I would probably get some letters and emails and calls this week, you know? It's not the best sermon. But the Spirit of God was in creation and at work. The Spirit of God was powerful. The Spirit of God is surprising. The Spirit of God was out ahead of Peter in the hearts and minds and souls of these people. And in this great phrase by Luke, it said, those gathered there were cut to the heart. Oh, friends, I hope at some point in your life you've been cut to the heart by the Spirit of God that all of the defenses we put up to, to keep change and transformation and the holy at bay, that our defenses fall down and the Spirit of God cuts through and we're cut to the heart where transformation might happen. The Spirit was at work. And after asking, what does this mean? They now ask the cousin question, okay, what do we do? For when the Spirit of God shows up, when we encounter the Holy Spirit, we experience the Holy Spirit, it, it demands something of us. There is a response that is required. Something within our soul knows we're, we're changed. We can't just stay the same. We can't just stand here. Something is needed from this. And Peter told them to repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins, and they too would receive the Holy Spirit. Again, Peter's getting quick on the uptake. This guy that missed so much in the Gospels is now learning on the fly, realizing this is the Spirit of God, and it is new in me, and in a brief moment realizes it can be new in you as well. The very power we saw in Jesus is now available to us and is available to you with the mere act of calling on the name of Jesus. And 3,000 were added to their number that day. The disciples also had to be good administrators. Can you imagine baptizing 3,000 people on the fly? Y'all, it takes a lot of work to baptize three sometimes. We talk about it. 3,000 were added to their number and marched down to the Jordan somewhere and got baptized. It would have taken a day or two to get it all done. And this becomes the pattern of Acts. We're gonna talk about it in one way or the other for several weeks. The Spirit works in power, number one, and is on the move. And the Spirit can't be controlled and is working in constantly surprising ways, often through the most surprising of people. The disciples watch and they listen for the Spirit's movement, and then they do their dead-level best to join the Spirit where the Spirit's work as they are able. I mean, I said this, but I'll say it again. The Holy Spirit is about to turn their world upside down and inside out. Very few of them are gonna remain at home. They're gonna scatter across the empire. 
what they do in the name of the Holy Spirit is gonna upset a lot of different people and they will face persecution. Most everyone there in, that receives this, at least the apostles face death for their faith. Most will leave their home. They'll follow around the empire. They will become brothers in Christ and sisters in Christ with people that before this day, they thought were absolute outsiders on what God was doing in the world. They will be used for miracles. They will raise the dead. They will witness miracles. They, their fumbling, bumbling selves before this moment, they will be used to do every single thing Jesus did in his ministry other than resurrection. Such is the power of the Spirit. Let me conclude with this. The posture of the disciples in Acts, watching, listening, and then following that powerful, surprising Spirit that we can't control, that remains the healthiest posture for the church today. Nothing has changed. We've got better buildings. We've got bigger budgets. We have bigger staff. We have fancier programs. We dress a little better when we gather together. There's more of us. But the same spirit is equally powerful today and equally active and on the move and equally surprising in who it chooses sometimes to work and equally uncontrollable by our plans and our budgets and our buildings. The posture for us is to watch. Where do we see the spirit on the move in our lives, in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our churches, in our world? Where do we hear of the spirit's movement of things that taste and smell like the gospel in our world that that may sometimes look just like we expect them to do and often will look very different And do we have the courage and the faith like those earliest believers to follow where it leads, to allow our world at times to be flipped upside down and inside out for the sake of Jesus Christ and his gospel? Let me pray for us. God, you are on the move in this world. You are on the move in our lives in this church in the greater San Antonio area and beyond. God, there is no inch of creation. There is no strand of DNA. There is no atom in the universe that you do not possess through the power of your Holy Spirit. There is never a person we will visit with in whom you have not spoken and worked. There is not a place we will visit where you are not already there. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear where you are at work and how you are inviting us, calling us, beckoning us who are possessed by you to join you in that place, in that work. In your name we pray, amen. We hope you enjoyed your segment of the Trinity Baptist Church podcast with senior pastor, Matt Homeyer. Join us next week for another segment. For more information about our church and to keep up to date with the latest resources, visit our website at trinitybaptist.org.